0: Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Pedagogue is a podcast that amplifies teacher scholar perspectives on teaching writing across contexts and positions and celebrates the labor teachers do inside and outside the classroom. Each episode is a conversation with a teacher or multiple teachers about classroom pedagogies and practices. Teachers talk about their experiences teaching writing, their work, inspirations, assignments, assessments, successes, and challenges. Please feel free to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. In this episode, Rebecca Weaver talks about building writing adaptability and fostering community in the writing classroom, teaching at Perimeter College outside Atlanta, and the hidden curriculum. Rebecca Weaver is an associate professor of English at Georgia State University Perimeter College, a new columnist at the National Teaching and Learning Forum, And has written about teaching for inside higher ed, the Chronicles, Prof Hacker, Recursive, and Textile. She's the founding editor of Recursive Reviews and is a new pedagogy developer, working as a GSU C E T L O E faculty fellow in 2022-2023. Her website is talkingteachingwriting.com, and you can find her on Twitter at Weavaro. That's R-E-W. When she's not teaching, talking about teaching, or writing and reading about teaching. She's walking, gardening, cooking, or reading. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Your approach to teaching focuses on writing adaptability and community. What are some ways you build this into the classroom and foster community in the writing classroom at Georgia State University Perimeter College?
1: Right. Well, over the last seven years or so since I've come to Perimeter, which For people who don't know, Perimeter College was a standalone community college that had five campuses plus an online campus. Uh, And we were merged with Georgia State University in uh, 2016. Well, the process began in 2015, but it's still ongoing in some ways. And so that's, I still consider where I teach a community college, even though we're a college now within a larger university. And that has a major impact in how I think about what I do, that I've really drilled it down into this one major concept, that my job is to help my students develop a writing process that helps them adapt to any writing situation. That's it. That's the whole story of the class. And there are lots of different ways that I try to do that. I begin the class often by talking about my grandfather's garage. It was so full of tools that he didn't even park the car in it. And yet every tool had its place Every surface was neatly laid out. You knew exactly what went where. And neighbors would ask him, you know, oh, could you fix my lawnmower? Could you fix my, you know, my window casing or whatever? And he had the exact right tools to do the job. And I tell my students, I give them this idea of the, t- the toolbox as a metaphor for their writing process. We talk a lot about what a writing process looks like. Uh, Keith Hortjaw in his book, uh, his great book, Transition to College Writing, talks about the false ideas, the bad ideas, if you want to say, about writing that he sees a lot of students have. And one of the big ones is that writing is a linear process. Draft, correct, turn in. Right? I talk a lot about what a good and healthy writing process means, and it means you adapt. You are able to say, get a writing assignment from your psychology prof and know what to do. I can't tell you exactly what to do, but if you have a good writing process, you'll be able to approach that project, right? Horshaw talks about it as a puzzle to solve, and I like that a lot. Yeah, Um, so that's the adaptability part of it. I also feel like because there's no such thing as standardized students and and students are not standardizable, I'm adapting, I'm adapting to who my students are and what they need every semester. And of course, with the last couple of years, that's been a very, it's had some new layers, I'll say. So that's the adaptability part, the community part. I try to both build community in the classroom, all kinds of things that we probably have all heard of, peer review, sharing things. But because I do ungrading uh, as assessment in my writing classes, a big part of the building of the community happens when the students sit down and talk to each other about, well, what does it mean to get a B in this class or to get an A in a writing class? What does it mean to attend most of the time, right? What does it mean to um, be engaged in the class, right? And a lot of that community building gets accelerated in that conversation, which is usually around the fourth or fifth week of the semester, because then they're holding each other accountable and they're the ones who've created the stakes for what that means. So they've now gotten to know each other a little bit. They now hold each other accountable for the work of the class. In my 1102 classes, so in Georgia, all the students have to take a a year sequence of two semesters of composition. And in 1102, where we focus on not just building a good writing process, but also thinking about the history and current state of higher education, they write a profile of somebody else in the class. They write an academic profile. And we do work ahead of that and a couple of weeks ahead of that on Um, the idea of the academic self from um, the educational psychologist Aronson and Sierra Sheldon talks about it in her book Bandwidth. And so we talk about this idea of an academic self. So they have to write a profile of somebody else's academic self. So again, they've got to know somebody, they have had a conversation with somebody about their academic ideas. I get the sense that that has not happened for many of my first-year students until that day. So that's another way that I work on building community in my writing classrooms.
0: Rebecca, let's talk more about your unique context. Historically, a two-year college, and now this merger with Georgia State University. How has your teaching changed, or has it stayed the same? Perimeter College is also outside of Atlanta, Georgia, How is your teaching influenced by where you are and who your students are?
1: So there's a few ways I've been thinking about this question. And first is to think about, well, what do we mean when we say community college? And I had the great experience to teach at um, a couple of community colleges up in Minnesota before moving down here and really realized that that is where I wanted to be, even though I wasn't sure how I was going to get there. I really loved it. And part of the reason was because traditionally at community colleges, it's not students who were told that they were heading to college. It's students who had to fight to really be there and still have to fight in many cases to be in that classroom. And who maybe spend a few years or a few decades outside of school and are coming back because they've really made the decision, I want to be here. So there's that kind of angle of it. When I first got this job at Perimeter, my father-in-law wrote to me, and he is involved in politics in Minnesota and knew and was friends with uh, the late Paul Wellstone. Wellstone would, every couple of years, kind of threaten to not run again. Well, what would you do? Well, what would you, well, I'd go teach at a community college. And then somebody would invariably sort of say, well, Paul, you could have your pick of any college to teach at. Why teach at a community college? And he would say, because I feel like I can do the most good there. And, you know, it was my father-in-law's way of congratulating me, which I thought was just incredibly touching, obviously. And that always strikes me, especially after having experiences of teaching at big state universities, small liberal arts colleges. I taught at an arts college uh, in Minneapolis, which was a blast. (laughs) I mean, it was they were all very different and all very interesting, but and Georgia Tech, which is this premier science and engineering school, um, I really feel like that's where my pedagogical home is now at a community college. Even though we're part of a state school, it, we're still trying to figure out what all that means because pedagogically, our traditions are very different in some ways. So that relationship is still pretty new. I turned in my application for Georgia Perimeter. And the next day is when they announced that they would become part of Georgia State. My life at the school has always been the merger. It's, it's been pretty weird. I've never had that before. It's the 10th school that I've taught at.
0: 10 schools. Who has informed your pedagogy the most and how so? What, what teachers or scholars have influenced your approach to teaching and in what ways have they done so?
1: yeah, I, I feel really lucky that I have had this great range of, of experiences. Um, I think probably my first influence, the person who first said to me, you know, this is something you can, you might want to think about doing, you know, teaching college. Um, a couple of my professors said that, but I'd love to call out by name, Dr. Pauline Beard, who was my, Um, the professor that ran the training for uh, the writing tutors. And at that point, my alma mater, Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon, go boxers. Uh, My alma mater didn't have a writing center. Instead, we had um, tutors that were part of the res life um, staff in each dorm. So we had we were called house tutors. And um, Pauline ran that training. And it was my first ever training as a writing teacher and a lot of. What she had to do still resonates with me, um, and helped me when I I worked I've worked in three different writing centers, so that helped a lot. In grad school, as I'm sure you know, um, and I did two different kinds of grad schools. I did an MFA in poetry, and then I did a PhD in literature. But in traditional grad school in the humanities, there isn't a lot of emphasis or love for pedagogy training or enthusiasm for a long time, I felt like I had this split identity. Somebody who was trying to do the literature research, and and I was participating in the community as a poet, and that was fun and great and amazing, but I also knew, because I knew people who were already in teaching jobs at community colleges, because I, I did some adjuncting um, when I was in grad school, I already knew that the most of my time as a professor would be teaching. And yet I was at this kind of major research university doing my PhD where those were not the messages I was hearing. And in fact, was being very explicitly told not to pay attention to teaching and not to put much work into it. And yet I loved it so much. I'll tell you a story. I got laryngitis. I had a cold and then it turned into laryngitis. And I thought, well, I feel fine. So I went in and taught. I ended up, this was still, gosh, this would have been early 2000s. So we still had overheads, right? And what I did is set up the screen in such a way that I had the notes on the overhead next to where I was writing what I would usually say on the whiteboard. And I would use a lot of gestures and, and get the students, and I kind of led class and then I wrote, okay, we're done, see you Monday. And this kid stands up and claps. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I might really be good at this, right? This might be fun. I, I, I could see maybe just doing this, right? And as much as I learned and as much as I, you know, tried to publish stuff about my scholarship, uh, poetry in the 1970s, I also was kind of developing this other part, this interest in teaching. So I got to teach a class in kind of American educational history late in my graduate school career. Read, uh, you know, Frary for the first time, and Mike Rose, and you know, Lives on the Boundary, and all kinds of great stuff. Miles Thompson, right, the the Highlander School founder, like all these amazing people. And was kind of like, huh, I think I've been doing this liberatory, critical pedagogy stuff. And then started to be introduced to some of these ideas when I was teaching composition in the same school where I was at. They're they're separate departments, but they had, because they have a huge number of composition classes, started to teach. So I was starting to have some of these conversations. And then I became a Britain fellow at Georgia Tech. And that's what lit the fire. Um, I started to get to know uh, former uh, Brits like Jesse Sommel, who founded Digital Pedagogy Lab uh, with uh, Sean Michael Morris. And, you know, I ended up going to that and teaching a class there and getting to know a huge amount of people, all kinds of people, but also folks like Kathy Davidson, who I've never actually met in person, but who's been deeply influential about my thinking, not just about what we do in the humanities, but about the, the weight of history of academic teaching, and how much ground we still have yet to cover. And I love having my students watch her talk about Charles Eliot. I think it's so much fun. And about the history of grades as meatpacking history, right? It's so much fun. Um, But also, you know, people like Sandra McGuire and uh, Dr. Stephen Chu, people who talk to other teachers about teaching. It's amazing what's out there. and all kinds of folks on Twitter. Twitter's been an amazing teaching and pedagogy community for me. It has been life-giving, sustaining, affirming. And I'm just so grateful for the community that people have created, even though we have disagreements at times or we argue about stuff. I never would have found resources like bad ideas about writing, which is central to my composition pedagogy now. And I've, you know, stolen their title while well, I gave them credit uh, for my column at the National Teaching and Learning Forum. And just, you know, so many folks. Rebecca Moore Howard was one of my very first influences around how we think about and teach about source use. And I will quote her every single time somebody says, why don't you use Turnitin? Well, in the citation project, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I could keep going and just give you a list of names.
0: You've written about this idea of the hidden curriculum and the effects it has on students. Can you talk more about what the hidden curriculum is and how you have conversations with students about how to navigate the university and why you think that's important for teachers to consider doing in the classroom?
1: So the hidden curriculum is this concept, again, from... Um, Educational psychology, but also educational historians and other folks who work a lot with first generation students or students for whom maybe they've had a parent in college or near college, but there may have been some life events that created a kind of distance between them and academic culture. Um, And I think poverty um, is definitely one of those things. And that was, that was true for me. My, both my mother and father went to college, but growing up in a poor neighborhood um, is very different and culturally trains things um, in you differently than, say, the um, more suburban neighborhood closer to the high school down the way, right? So it's this concept that basically says there is a whole host of things, behaviorally, academically, culturally, that students get assessed on and judged for, but are never told that. And the never told that, that's the hidden part, right? And it's all kinds of things like how to email your professor. Don't call your professor dude, right? So I think the Chronicle um, series, Dear Student, A lot of that is hidden curriculum stuff. It's done in a pretty, I think, negative way, in a way that I don't find useful or compassionate or, frankly, interesting, because it's essentially yelling at students for what they don't know. And honestly, for fuck's sakes, we are teachers. So I try to make what's hidden, I try to make that transparent. And I talk about it. I say, okay, here's another lesson in the hidden curriculum, guys. Let's talk about how to email your professors or what are office hours? What does that mean and why should you go to them? I have so many students for whom approaching a teacher has been drilled out of them. Uh, There's a regional high school here who tells their students, don't ask your professors for help. They don't wanna help you, right? And I have to say, no, 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 your professors will help you if you come see us in our offices and come talk to us and come email us. So, and there's all kinds of academic hidden curriculum things, I think we've probably seen some of this as graduate students and not knowing some of the cultural mores and cultural expectations, shall we say. So in my classes, and I make it an explicit part of the curriculum, Here's what you need to know about how to navigate this community, this academic community, and become part of it. And even if you don't, aren't really into it for a while, fake it till you make it. Here's how to look like you're on top of your game. Here's how to get a hold of your professors. Here's how to say that. Here are expectations around, say, assignment submission. A lot of your professors are already going to assume, you know, this and this and this, and that's wrong, (laughs) but you need to know that and be ready for it. So I feel like I do a lot of like cultural coaching in some ways. Great resources now out there for students. There's, but there's a book for mentoring students through the hidden curriculum that I've read some in. There's lots of folks, especially folks working with first-generation students. I mean, folks who've been working with first-generation students have known this for a long time. You know, it's the rest of us that have been working with them, but not in the roles of, say, advisors or student success folks or counselors, right? Professors have been a little late to that but are starting to pick it up. A colleague and I um, talked about pitching a class just on the hidden curriculum of college. Just all kinds of ways you talk about yourself as a student to how you deal with professors to how you format a paper.
0: Thanks, Rebecca. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.